Please stand with me as we read from the word of God. Continuing on, Nehemiah chapter four. Now when Sanabalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews. He said in the presence of associates and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Amorite, was beside him, and he said, the stone wall they are building, any fox going up on it would break it down. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn your taunt back on their own heads and give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurried insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. The word of God. Please be seated. Last week we were in chapter 2, this week we're in chapter 4. In chapter 3, if you hadn't had a chance to catch up, they start building this wall. They, they literally begin to work on the wall. Somehow, I mean, somehow, Nehemiah got them to start working on it. We didn't get to see that part. I, I feel as if there was an HGTV version of this where you got to see the best parts because chapter three starts this way. Then the high priest Eliashib set to work with his fellow priests and rebuilt the sheep gate. Immediately the work happens. It doesn't tell us how strenuous it was. It doesn't tell us how Nehemiah had to coax some of them. It doesn't tell us the discouragement Nehemiah had to go through in order to get the people together. And if you are one who has to work with people to try to get them together to do something, you know how hard that task is. Teachers dedication. Somebody say amen, teachers. Teachers. Nehemiah does it. They begin the work. Every family, every clan, every class, every tribe come together and they begin to put this wall together and they're beginning to move and move. And so we pick up here in chapter 4, Nehemiah is beginning to deal with the, the opposition and the discouragement of those outside of the camp. So today we are talking about the ridicule, dealing with discouragement in the world by which we work in. Oh, Nehemiah begins this task. Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been through something? I don't know, like a pandemic. Have you ever been through one of those? <laughs> Have you ever tried to keep life together and life just seems to keep falling apart? Have you ever tried to hold up optimism for a better day and that better day never seems to come? What does Nehemiah do when he's facing this, with this issue of discouragement uh, in this particular chapter? Well, this is how he deals with it. He uh, begins to combat the threat of discouragement by finding avenues of connection for stability. 
He does this in two ways. Number one, he does it with connection. Number two, he finds ways to cultivate a healthy path forward. So he connects and he cultivates. He connects and he cultivates. He what? He and he. Oh, yes, you're with me this morning. So there's a stimulus that comes upon Nehemiah, and we'll see it a few times. We'll see it in a few events in this particular chapter. The stimulus is discouraging problems or oppositions. The way that he solves this is that he connects and he cultivates. Connecting is important. When, when things seem to be falling apart around us, it is imperative that we find ways to connect to keep us stable through these moments. I had a friend who used to work at Pines Creek Ranch, and so um, I went up to help them uh, with a week up there of camp. And he drove me up and he drove me down. And on the way down, he was driving. He was driving a little bit reckless. And I'd known this individual for a long time. I knew that he didn't have a ton of driving experience behind him. You know, he, he never drew a na drove a NASCAR. He never, he, he never raced anything. He, he just, he'd learned how to drive later in life. But he was driving down this hill with passion, as if Jesus was at the bottom of the hill. He's going, he's going, he's going. I say, bro, maybe, maybe you should take it easy. And he says to me, listen, man, I've driven this road so many times. I know it like the back of my hand. The thing, he was, so he just kept driving. But he was driving like a, a car that was like 110 years old. And I felt the pieces of the car starting to rattle. And it's starting to, you know, do this thing here. And it's, you know, and he's, but he's like, don't worry, I got this. And coming around one of our, our, our turns down about two-thirds of, uh, two of the way down the hill, he loses control. We go screaming off of the road. I reached up and I grabbed the handle of his car. I was so scared that when I grabbed the handle of the car, I ripped it right out. <laughs> The dust settles. <laughs> We're sitting there in dead silence because I just got done telling him not to drive like this. We're thanking the Lord in our silence, and he looks at me and he says, Bro, I said, What? He says, You ripped off my handle. <laughs> I said, Sorry, here you go. Your car's old. In moments when things are shifting and they're, and they're, and they're a little bit nerve-wracking, we look to grab on to connect to something that will keep us stable. Nehemiah here grants us connections that will help us stay stable to the storm of discouragement. Let's take a peek at it. First part is, obviously, we read it this morning um, in our reading text, right? So there's an external threat of discouragement that comes from Sanballat. He heard that we were building the wall. He was angry and greatly enraged. He mocked the Jews. He said in the presence of his associates and armies, what are these feeble Jews doing? What are these feeble, weak, weak people doing? Will they restore things? Can they bring it back? 
Will they sacrifice again? Is that what they're doing? Will they finish it in one day? Look at them. They think that they can change all of a sudden. They think they can make a difference all of a sudden. This is impossible. So he is, he is pressing onto Nehemiah his brokenness. And in this world, might I say, sometimes people are discouraging and they break us down, not because of us, but because of their brokenness. Remember, Sabbath is, is a Sumerian, right? And, and this, so, so this is when the, the kingdom, northern kingdom, breaks up. They're marrying, remarrying. They're, they're part of a clan, but, but part of the diaspora. So, so he's raised up. He has to work for the king of Persia, but he himself is enslaved. He can't find a way forward. He's tried. So way, the way he speaks about Nehemiah and his people really reflects on him and his struggles. He's got issues. He's angry that he couldn't rebuild his community. He's upset that things aren't going right for him. And so he pours his toxicity onto Nehemiah and the people. When you are dealing with people and their discouragement and their toxicity, just make sure that you are clear that is not your plight, that is their plight. They are going through something. They are working through it. But don't allow them and the things that they are trying to work out and their toxicity to pour into your life and make it feel like it's yours. Don't adopt that toxicity. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't do it. Don't do it. Sandalot, he this is what he does, right? You're weak. No way you can do it. You think all of a sudden you can change overnight? One day it's over? You think you can do this? So this is how... Nehemiah responds. Number one, he makes a connection for the people. He does this in verse 4 through 5. It's a lament. He makes a connection through this shifty time by going into a prayer, right? He begins to pray to God. He connects this way. Oh, hear, oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn their taunt back on their own heads and give them over to, as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have hurled insults in the face of of the builders. He's lamenting to God. He's so angry that he wants to curse them to God. And I may I just say this about God. God is big enough to take our pain. It's okay if you're going through something and you got to cry out to God and be angry to God. God can handle that. Amen, church? He's a big God. God is a big God. I think sometimes we think we got to protect God. We got to handle God's business for God. I think that sometimes that's why, like, we become bouncers in the world, right? Hey, don't you do that. The Lord don't like that. Hey, 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 well, you're not going to make it to heaven. Hey, we need to do this more. Hey, we, if we just pray, you know, we, we do this whole, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need bodyguards. He needs customer service. He needs people who's going to love people. Amen. My son, when he was two, was like a, ball of fat, which I love. So, so cute, so cute. He slendered up so much and it's made me sad, you know. Just, I miss those rolls. He used to be very protective of his dad. You know, when, and when, and when he feels like threatened, someone's trying to threaten me, you know, ah, he'd put his big head down and just start running at people like this. And I thought it was so cute because he thought he could protect me. <laughs> Boy, you're so cute, but you're useless. You're a baby ball of chubs. People are just going to grab you and hug you and love you. That's what God says to us when we try to act all, you know, hey, no, this is the Lord. Hey, this is the Lord. God's like, oh, you're so cute. 
Stop it. <laughs> I'm God. You're not. God is God. We are not. He's big enough to handle our plight, our pain, our anger. In our prayer, Nehemiah's prayer, he's lamenting. He's angry. He calls out to God. I just, you know what, God, I'm, I'm really angry at these people. And God said, I got you. It's okay. We can talk. We can talk. So number one, he connects to God through prayer. Number two, he cultivates. This is important to know about cultivating. Cultivating is not reacting. Cultivating is not responding. Cultivating is something totally different. When we get into a position and someone comes at us, we often in our, in our low humanness, we want to what? We want to react. We want to react, right? If someone's coming at us, oh snap, let's go. Let's do this. When we were uh, having our wedding, my wife and I, we got married right here in this church. You know, and uh, it was like, honey, man, you know, our parents are going to get involved, both of them. Oh, Lord Jesus. We were worried about how they were going to react, right? Because in those places, when somebody comes at you, you want to react. That's the base of our person. Now, if you're a smarter person, you respond. The response is something we do when we thought through something and we're going to give a response. First responders, they're the first on call. They come, they're ready to handle the situation, which is a smart person. But a real leader cultivates. A cultivator is someone who is reading the problem and says, not only am I going to respond to this, I'm going to build to the goal that I have, and in so doing, it will create a natural response for the problem at hand. Nehemiah cultivates. What does he cultivate? Verse 6, so we did this. We rebuilt the wall. That's how Nehemiah responded. And the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. He prayed and then he acted. He didn't throw a reaction to uh, Sambalat and, and what they were doing. He, he didn't come after him. He didn't curse him into his face. He talked with God and then he went back to the task and he cultivated an activity among the people to move forward. It's not enough for us to just pray about things. We've got to also act on things. We've got to be willing to say, God, I, 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 wanna, I, wa I want you to lead me. And as God opens the door, we can't just sit there and wait. We've got to be able to walk forward in faith, knowing that God is walking with us. He could have just reacted. Nehemiah could have been hurt by what he had heard. He could have taken it personally. He could have tried to stay up with what Sambalot's doing, they could have been looking over there and say, okay, you know what? We need to do what they're doing. And this is a little bit problematic for us at church, I think. Sometimes, because we feel feeble or because we've bought into the idea that we're not good enough or we can't do it in one day, we try our best not to, not to look that way, right? So we, just, we see what everybody else is doing, just do that. And so we live a life where we're struggling, but when somebody asks us, how are you doing, we're not authentic about our answers, we just say, oh, I'm blessed. Praise the Lord, I'm blessed. Really? No, my leg fell off yesterday. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we're going through things, but we're not transparent and we're not authentic. And we teach this lie to our children by doing it so that when they go to church, they do the same thing. The church needs to be a place where we can be authentic, real, and truthful with each other because we can't find healing until we are truthful with each other. We can't find growth until we're authentic. I call it uh, the Christian of, 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 of McDonald's. My son has just started falling in love with McDonald's burgers. 
um, these heathenists eat meat eaters like their Big Macs. Leo loves Big Mac. I think about the Big Mac. Have you all seen a Big Mac lately? This is what a Big Mac looks like. Let's put a Big Mac up here. Look at that thing. Look at that grease and death. Somebody said it looks good. <laughs> Sinner. Um, <laughs> right? You look at this thing, you're like, oh, mercy. Praise the Lord. Look at that. It's beautiful. And this is the kind of Christian life we have. We, we, this is what we do with ourselves, right? Hey, look at me. Look at me. All double patty. Sesame seed bun. Look at me. But has anyone ever bought a Big Mac that looked like this? No, I mean, come on, let's, 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 I mean, really, Big Macs look probably more like this one here. Look at this thing. <laughs> this is what your Big Mac really looks like, right? Look at that. Meat all bent over. The sesame's then fell off the side of the thing. We often try to want people to see us as a beautiful Big Mac, but the truth is some of us got sesame seeds missing. Amen. Some of us have lettuce that's wilted on the side. Some of us have been doubled over by pain and problems. And this is what reality looks like, but we are afraid to be authentic about it. And listen, until we are willing to be authentic and real about our stuff, transformation can't happen. We don't have to chase after anybody else. We don't have to try to look like the perfect burger. God enjoys us just the way we are. You are loved you were beautifully created by God. You are just the way you are today. Nehemiah's response wasn't to respond to Sambalat because he knew God had granted him a calling, a vision, a task. So he went about his business. Cultivating. Hmm. Okay. So we run into the second discouragement in chapter 4. This discouragement is an internal discouragement. It's being overwhelmed by the rubbish and the work before the people. Judah says this in verse 10 through 12. But Judah said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. There is too much rubbish so that we are unable to work on the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see anything before we come upon them and kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived near them came, they said to us ten times, from all the places where they live, they will come up against us. They were overwhelmed. So the first one was the external pressure of someone pushing on Nehemiah and the people. This second discouragement is an internal one. This is happening between them inside. They're having to struggle with, with being overwhelmed by the work. The burden bearers are beginning to fail. We're tired. There's not enough help for us. Uh, there, there's uh, threats of people still around. And so what happens is when you're, you're, you're dealing with this, it's a trigger from within us from being used to being hurt or living in a toxic situation. And we don't know how to come up on the other side. So Nehemiah, he connects them to hope. He connects them to hope. He connects them to celebration. They are so used to the situation they have, they're not, no, they're not able to see the situation they can have. So Nehemiah in verse 14 says this. After I looked these things over... I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Oh, not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
and fights for your kin, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah draws their eyes away from their overwhelming triggers towards a God who is for them. Who is like the Lord, says the song. Nobody, if he is in us, who can be against us? Our God is in awesome God. Okay. Our God is in God. He reigns from with with and God is in, one more time, let's go, here we go, here we go. Our God is an awesome God. From heaven above with with power, love is an Hey, I know you've been through some things, but I want you to remember to celebrate. You have an awesome God. You have a God who is for you. When you are working in his will to create community that is good, that is full of love, that is inclusive, that cares for equity, there is a God who stands with us. We have a good God. Discouragement was internal. Maybe we can't build this wall. Maybe it's too much work. Maybe there are two enemies. Maybe there are enough naysayers in our life. There's just no way we can do it. Nehemiah connects them to hope and says, hey, I know you're worried, but let's celebrate. Celebrate there's a God who's on your side. There's a God who cares. There's a God who empowers. As you're dealing with encouragement, maybe in your classroom, maybe in your marriage, maybe at your workplace, and you're feeling like, ah, maybe it's time for me to quit. Maybe it's time for me to give up. I want you to just stop and begin to celebrate the things God is doing in your life. Stop for a moment and just celebrate and think, you know what, God? I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this. And, I'm thankful. and I want you to just spend some time in that place and allow God to pour back into you so that you can remember he's doing great things. Now, while he's doing this, he connects them to hope. He cultivates boundaries. He cultivates boundaries, verse 13, so the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people according to their families and their swords, their spears, and their bows. In other words, he created a boundary for the people to feel safe so that they didn't feel pressed by Sambalat and, and all of all the Sumerians and all those who were outside of those gates. And sometimes in life when you're discouraged, you've got to create healthier boundaries. Somebody say Amen. You got to create boundaries so that you can feel safe in your space, so that your people can feel space, safe in your space. I create all kinds of boundaries. When I travel anywhere, if it's not my home church and I'm traveling, I travel with someone. I travel with my wife. I travel with my brother. I'll travel with, with my parents. I'll travel with friends that I'll invite to come along. Why? Because I want to create boundaries for me and for those that I travel to to make sure I protect my marriage. I love my wife. I'm never going to cheat on my wife because I got somebody traveling with me all the time. <laughs> because I create boundaries. Creating boundaries is healthy for us. When you're, when you're in a space where you're feeling hopeless and broken, make sure that you're creating boundaries so that you have space to breathe again. Make sure you know how to say the word no. This is my problem. I'm going to start a support group for people who can't say no. You can join me. 
But every time you say no to something, it means you're saying yes to something else. And if you wanna say yes to life-giving things, you gotta be willing to say no to things that are robbing life. He cultivates this. He creates a boundary so that those who are attacking can be held out, so that those who are inside can feel safe enough to grow. And when you create good boundaries for yourself, it gives you space enough to grow. Finally, lastly in chapter four, discouragement of being exhausted and being alone. This is the third and last one. The discouragement here is being exhausted and being alone. Verse 19, and I said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread out and we are separated far from one another on the wall. This is the problem. Maybe you've been feeling this way, discouraged. You've been feeling separated. Maybe you've been feeling alone in your classrooms. Maybe you've been feeling alone in your ministries. This wall is a massive wall. I, I, I've been just taking time the last few months to survey and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm visiting. Why? Because the wall, the part of the wall, the kingdom wall that is here in the 92505 is massive. And I see some of you working diligently. Oh, my teachers, this week, I just saw you all just, just tearing into work. And then on Friday, you had to have a, a La Sierra Academy had to have a, a beach vespers. And I was like, man, you all just keep going. Amazing. I see you in the ministries, the pantry, the food pantry, doing phenomenal things, working amongst the, the pain of dealing with loved ones that you are losing and you continue to lead. I want to thank you, Darren, for that. Praise God. Let's give that a big round of applause. See you, I see you, Jeff, as you, you, you led braving, you just, just keep leading the Pathfinders. I came down there, one of my first things I did is I came down and check out the Pathfinders, and they, were, and they taught me how to do a knot I'd never done before. I said, I'm a genius now, because when I was little, I got kicked out of Pathfinders. I'm about to join, is it too old? No, I don't know. I see Otis at the warehouse, Pastor Otis and his amazing team at the warehouse, cranking away, the wall is long, and I just, I, I wanna appreciate Pastor Otis so much. He's the best dressed pastor we have. I wore this tie because of him. He makes me look bad every week. Seriously, I say, hey, if Pastor Otis wanna come and swim, he'll come in this suit, just go swimming. <laughs> But then I'll see him driving the La Sierra truck, sweating profusely, moving stuff for people because that's what we do on a big wall. It's a massive wall. And this is, this is the problem they're having here. Nehemiah points it out. He says, this wall is massive. The work is great, widely spread out, and we are separated far from one another on this wall. We've got a campus here and a campus there. We've got ministries down here and people over here. It's a massive wall. Then he says in verse 20, rally to us. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, our God will fight for us. Oh, God is fighting for us when we come to each other's aid. You are God's answer. You are it. When we pray for God to do miraculous things, God says, I'm waiting for you to start moving. So he cultivates a call for help and response of support for each other. He connects the people together and then he cultivates 
a, a culture there where there's the, the openness, the honesty to ask for help when we need it, and the willingness of the community to respond in support. And we need you. We need you in all fashions, in all ways. We need you to continue teaching down here. But we want you to know while you're teaching in your classroom and you're struggling with 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 kids, that you're not alone. We need you to not only come and, and be here in this space, but when you hear the call for volunteer help, for a need, to, that you would say, I'm here. Let's do it. We need you when you hear that there's some, a family who's struggling to go to school but needs to be in an environment that's for Jesus, that you say, I'm here via my finances. I will help. This is what Nehemiah cultivates. He cultivates us together. We all must never be too mindful of our positions, our titles, or our interests that we are no help to other parts of the kingdom building. Um, I've been trying to move into my house for like since, I don't know, 1997. We've, <laughs> since, we, since we moved here uh, and Bud has helped us, we've been, we've been trying to move in there. We haven't, we're still transients. Right now, we're living with my, my sister at the Metrolink. Thank you, my sister. <laughs> So that's them four, and then there's my four, and there's eight of us in that little place. And we're living, and it's good. We love it. Why? Because we're disgusting. <laughs> we love being close together. My kids and our kids are sleeping, they're laughing, they're, you know, enjoying COVID together. They're doing all kinds of stuff. It's horrible. But I've been, I've been sneaking over here every chance I get to the house to work on it. In the house... It's a mess, not because Bud left it that way, but because we wanted to change a couple things. And then, you know, when you start, you should always have a plan. Otherwise, you start, and then you start ripping things out you shouldn't. We accidentally ripped out a kitchen a few weeks ago. We ain't got no money to put a kitchen back in. What are we thinking? And then my wife said, well, it's not like we cook anyway, so we can just leave it bare. <laughs> okay. Well, we weird, but okay. So here we are. I, I'm over there. And I'm, I'm working on there. This was Thursday. I get a text from Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve. Hey, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm working on this house. I've been working on it forever. I hate my life. He says, ah, uh, let me bring you something to drink. You want something to drink? I said, yes, give me something to drink. He's like, okay, I'll bring over a little postum for you. <laughs> little Roma, as it were. Pastor Steve comes over, and I'm patching up a hole that my wife didn't like. And he comes in, and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm patching a hole. He says, that's not how you patch a hole. I said, first of all, you're a city councilman. You don't talk to me that way. <laughs> okay. With your nice leather shoes and your sooty suit, and you think you're special. You need my vote, bro. You don't talk to me that way. <laughs> He was coming all, he was all clean. He had just come out of the cities holding his little, I don't know, these special coffees they make at whatever store he goes to, you know. Just, Here, have this. I said, I'm working. I said, what did you do? I said, I shoved a bunch of tape in there. First of all, I don't use phones anymore, so I just shoved the whole landline in the hole. It's in the hole somewhere. 
He says, I don't even know what happens in the hole. I just push it in there. And then I just shove some, some, some paint, paint tape on there. And then I just put a bunch of mud on it. And, and then it's fine. He says, but you can see it bulging out. I said, I don't care. I need to paint this space. He said, That's, you're doing it all wrong. I said, councilman, what do you know about getting your hands dirty? And then you throw this picture up. This guy says, okay. For the next hour, this guy's going around my house patching holes beautifully. He's, he's, he's tearing it out just right. He's using the actual paper you're supposed to use. He's mudding it with perfection. He looks at something I do and he says, man, that's so, did you do that? It's so bad. <laughs> then he goes and he fixes it up and then he's like painting my walls. I'm sitting on the ledge with my legs crossed drinking my tea. <laughs> the councilman's doing the work. Because the councilman, though his position is that, knew that I couldn't handle that wall alone. So in his nice clothes, his cool little shoes, he gets messy and dirty to help me. What happens when we put our positions aside our titles, our personal interests, our self-preservation so that we can begin to help each other. Well, when we do that, the kingdom of God gets built.